informed with your community. The Morning Drive on FM 96.3 and AM 620. WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here and... Joining us in studio now is the mayor of Burlington, Moreau Weinberger. Good morning, Moreau. Good morning, Kurt. Good morning, Anthony. Good to be back with you guys. And uh, with the mayor this morning is the original donut guy, Mike Kanarik. It is so wonderful to be back. There we go. Thanks for the donuts. And he came, as he always did, bearing donuts. I heard you two were hungry. I got up early and made him specially. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we And if you believe that. that one. (laughs) <laughs> There's a bridge that may need repair that he's going to sell you. I was going to say. <laughs> I'm um, not buying any bridges this week in uh, in Vermont. Thanks. So let's start out, Mr. Mayor, with... We know that Burlington did not get the results of the flood. We were spared mostly uh, as, as opposed to towns like the capital of Vermont, Montpelier and Barrie and Johnson and Ludlow and all the others. But we do have, we did get some real significant flooding in the, in the intervale. What can you report to us that 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 Burlington suffered, and what maybe what where what might be the response from your, your administration? Yeah. yeah. Um, hey, Kurt. Before before talking about that, I, I I and there's a lot to say about it, both what's happening in Burlington and how we're trying to chip in and help out in other parts of the state. I, I do just want to. Start off the show. I know. I know you were just talking about it with Commissioner Morrison. It's 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 very much on my mind as well. Uh, Burlington did have a major tragedy in the last week, and that we lost this wonderful young woman, uh, Katie Hartnett, who was so committed to the community. Was part of a family that's uh, such a big part of the Burlington community. And uh, just want to start out by sending you know sending my my uh, love and condolences out out to to the family who I know you're close to as well, and and I know many of your listeners know personally. So. Um, that's us. It was it was a week, a lot of heartache in uh, in in Vermont. Um, that certainly wasn't the only tragedy. Uh, it's very much been on uh, Burlington's mind that many of our neighbors were very badly hit last week. We were largely spared, uh, except a couple specific things that we'll talk to. So a lot of the last week, Kurt was. Um, us trying to uh, do what we could to help other communities. Some of that's formalized. We have, you know, we have good systems for sending out the Burlington Electric Department to help get power restored in other communities when there are issues in, in many areas. We have mutual aid agreements for rescue efforts. So a number of our firefighters and police officers were involved in, in a variety of, of rescue efforts over the last week. Then there was some informal stuff that just kind of happened because of the unique nature of this flooding. We got requests for help uh, cleaning streets and pumping out uh uh, drainage systems. We have a Vactor truck that we sent around the state. We have uh, some other pumper, you know, some pumps that we were able to get out to people, help people pump basements out. Um, Chapin Spencer, our DPW director, did a lot of work with his team trying to respond to as many of those requests as we could. I was going to ask because you have, you know, the largest city has probably the largest fleet and uh, assets as they refer to them. And I think I did see some Burlington trucks in Montpelier. And uh, whether it's formalized or informal, uh, you guys uh, did everything you possibly could. Uh, that was that was what I yeah that was what everyone was on our team knew we needed to do and and definitely put the word out that that should be our focus and we should help in any way we can and we, we you know we did some delay some some things in the city until uh, 
the immediate crisis had passed. We did have a crisis ourselves. This uh, sewage pipe break that was flood related is is a big deal in your neck of the woods, Kurt. Uh, I told him he can't go to the bathroom right now. Not <laughs> I guess home. Kurt can. He's on the right side of the street that uh, the gravity sorry, feeds in the right it's... direction. But the whole east side of the yeah. of uh, uh, of North Avenue is pretty impacted um, and. Uh, I really appreciate the work of our, our water resources team, which is a team we've invested heavily in in the last few years, realizing it, you know, they just have a lot of responsibilities and it, it we didn't have enough capacity there. Um, they've really stepped up over the last week to, first of all, they're doing, they're working on like three fronts at the same time in response to this pipe. One, they got a pumper truck, uh, system going within uh, a couple days of the, of the break that is running 24 hours a day right now and is capturing a lot of the waste that's flowing towards the river and taking it by truck to the waste department. Yep. Um, we also are setting up uh, in kind of record time a temporary line. That's what I was going to bring up. I am amazed from from a construction standpoint that they've designed and started building a line, a, just a completely temporary line to divert to a different plant. That to me seems pretty remarkable. It, it, it it's the same plant, um, okay. but it's a different route to the plant. And gotcha. you're absolutely right. They had to figure out how to make it work. They had to figure out there's a you know how how is a way that's going to have the least impact on on uh, residents in that part of town. Has how how can we do it legally in a way that can get done quick? And they went out. They got the pipe, and it, it's getting built. Um, uh, we're also keeping keeping track of everything the way you need to to get FEMA reimbursement. We think this will be. Paid for largely or maybe entirely by by FEMA. Um, uh, so that uh, and then the third thing they're doing, of course, is trying to figure out what is the permanent fix for this. This yeah. is the second time we've had a major sewage break in the Winooski River in the last twenty years. Uh, you know, this way the system was designed has some vulnerabilities in it. We've seen now a couple times, and so we're really looking at whether we just rebuild the system the way it is, or some there's some better way to fix it. I haven't quite gotten to your. I think what your the focus of your comment was we the biggest damage. Has been, of course, to the farmers in the Intervale. They um, was it mind, a complete wipeout? That is what my understanding is. I, ha- you know, I gotta circle back and make sure. I, I heard there was. I, I'm not 100 percent confident it's a complete wipeout. There may be some some things that can be salvaged, but basically, the the policy, the regulation is if if a crop is touched by. Uh, this water is contaminated, and you gotta and you gotta throw it out. So they, they it was a big effort with volunteers to get out there and harvest as much as was possible. Um, maybe some crops can be. Uh, what I'm not sure of is whether anything can be replanted, and maybe there's still a way to salvage something before the end of the season. Incidentally enough, a gentleman who worked at um, I think A and R Agency of Natural Resources stopped by when we were on the street raising money yesterday, and I asked him. I said, "So who's going to?" Because the, they all the soil has to be tested. I asked him specifically about that, uh, and I assumed it was UVM Extension Service. We had this long conversation, and he said. It really needs, it's an individual field by field basis that needs to be tested, particularly because the water that flooded, and I would think the intervale is probably like the worst, the worst possible because it's collected so much debris yeah. coming all the way down. It's all from the way downstream. Exactly. Uh, and, he, and I said, so, you know, the, and the state has labs designed to do that. They have a new lab actually down in Randolph of VTC. They rebuilt after Irene. Uh, and, but he did, he said in all likelihood, the intervale is probably going to take the biggest hit from the contamination because logic would dictate that. 
That's my understanding. Is that's what's happened at times in the past. It is an area that floods. It is a it is a floodplain that yeah. historically has been. That's part of what makes it such a great, it's fer- a great fertile, place to grow crops. fertile <laughs> place for crops. Um, but it is um, my. I, I do believe that there's clearly been a huge impact. Whether it's complete loss, I'm not yet 100 percent sure. Morrow, can you address an issue that's it's least indirectly related to this, which is the beach closures in Burlington, the cyanobacteria issues and. Uh, we get people that contact us and say, you know, look at this. Burlington's doing all these things, and they're not worried about the lake. Now, we know that we Yeah, that's so it. frustrating to me, that, that, that attitude, Ray. That's such a – I understand why people feel that way, and it's got things exactly backward. Let's be clear. Burlington has done more to protect the lake than any other community in the state – hands down, by millions and millions of dollars. We've been, since the 1950s, you could have criticized Burlington up until the 1950s. We didn't do anything to protect the lake until 1953. Since then, we have invested hundreds of millions of dollars into, first of all, state-of-the-art modern wastewater sewage treatment facilities. Um, and then since the 90s, we've been trying to treat uh, all the stormwater as well. And we get better and better at that every year. It's, it is a municipal, this is what gets me. There's probably no better municipal success story than what Burlington has done to try to protect the lake over the last, let's call it 70 years. It, we, we used to, our system in the 1950s was just pump the sewage into the lake. Our system until the 1990s was let all this combined flow that includes sewage and sort of bad stuff coming off the streets, let that go just straight out in the lake every time there's a rainstorm. Now we try to capture it all and treat it all. And we've done millions and millions of dollars work to separate stormwater and sewage in certain parts of town, but where it's combined still, we try to... We try to uh, treat it, and and we've so we've gone from having you know dozens of times every summer where you would have sewage outflows into the lake, where the unless something breaks, which does happen from time to time, but you know we've spent tens of millions of dollars trying to keep the breaking from happening, and this kind of break is an example of that. And you, you know, uh, we when things break. Uh, that, that's a problem, and that happens less and less, too, and we've been making our systems more and more resilient. The other thing that does still happen from time to time is we have these, in a big storm event, we have a combined outflow. Instead of letting water back up into people's basements and their toilets, we have this outflow kind of emergency escape valve that shunts the water uh, into certain places that do eventually get out into the lake, and there is a little bit of sewage that is part of that outflow. That used to happen dozens of times every summer, even until the 90s it happened dozens of times. Now it only happens four, five times a year, and we're making millions of dollars investment to make sure that that doesn't happen anymore either. So we're doing a lot in this area. And here's the biggest thing, Kurt. This has nothing to do with the beach closures most of the time. Once in a while, there's a beach closure that's related to E. coli that comes through a sewage issue. The great majority of the times that we have beach closures, it's because of the phosphorus runoff, the algae blooms. And that is driven by non-Burlington point sources for the most part. That is driven by agricultural runoff, and that is driven by issues that are totally unrelated to anything that's happening in the city. But the Burlington's beaches get closed when these other failures happen. And I remember the last, uh, it was in the last couple of years that I was on the council, we passed the bond, which got somewhere around 90% support, which what you're talking about now, that's related to that vote, that that bond. Yeah, 100%. That was a $30 million bond that, uh, yeah, unbelievably, like 90% of Burlingtonians voted for because Burlingtonians take very seriously the idea that we want to steward this lake properly. And we have put that, that money has gone into modernizing these older plants and, and, uh, 
making it much less likely that you would have breakages, uh, that you would have equipment failures. One more thing on that issue. Uh, we've had a couple of callers call in and say, uh, express concerns about Burlington has these issues, and yet we are building more housing developments <laughs> that are going to add to the problem. That's another real understandable but fundamental misconception that people have about uh, what our problem is. Our problem is not that we don't have, that we have too many toilets. We, the problem is we have plenty of sewage capacity. The re, when we have almost always, except a break like this pipe we've just been talking about, which is a very rare incident, uh, almost always what is going on is the stormwater problem. It's this combined sewer overflow problem. You know what helps that? You know what one of the biggest benefits for that is? New development. Let's look at the mall project. Until the mall was torn down, uh, as soon as you would have a storm event, the water would go straight from the roof of that mall that covered every inch of that site and go straight into the storm system and you know, shuttle down the hill, a hit, wall hit of water, wall yep. of water going down to the sewage treatment plant. And it would, and it sometimes in a big storm event, it overwhelms that system and we can't treat everything. The new, the new development that's going up now will hold all that right. water on site. And actually some of the water from offsite where you do at the same time, we're improving our, uh, there are investments going in there that will hold water from other parts of the city, not just that, pro, not that, that lot. It holds the water, it releases it slowly after the storm surge has passed, and it will mean that the storm events are not as bad. Development is part of the answer to getting these systems run better. Well, and I think that, you know, there's a lot that, that, that works against Burlington, too, is Burlington is uh, testing the water at their beaches all the time. Not necessarily all the other towns have the capacity to do that. I'm not saying that the other towns' beaches are bad, but, you know... When when people call, I am no, obsessed. You, you're totally right. That's yeah. part of what's happening. Another reason why people think thing the, the things are worse than they've ever been, which is is that the le- legislature passed a law a few years ago that says every time there is one of these CSOs, you probably voted for it, Kurt. Right? I don't know. There's every time there's one of these CSOs, <laughs> yeah. that you within an hour or something like that, within three hours, we are legally responsible for posting this to the website. The media reports that like this is a scandal, like this is a disaster, something terrible has happened. <clears throat> You it's, don't get any, uh, and I, you know, and yeah. it is unfortunate. We and we're trying to make them happen I, less, but I no, people you. have no sense that they happen a fraction of the time that they happened just a few years ago. Real a couple quickly, I know I, I talk too much. Kurt gets frustrated, but when I was a kid in Middlebury, I'd stand on the bridge on Main Street, and my eyes would burn at the falls. Okay, this was in the seventies. It doesn't happen anymore. We've come light years ahead collectively as a state, and I think Burlington obviously has been leading in that way. But uh, you know. You can always do better. I am obsessed with the fact that with these new developments, I think it's ingenious to have these giant holding tanks as part of the projects. And and I didn't realize that City Place was actually capturing more than just their runoff. Oh, it's capturing a lot. A way and to do that. We're putting huge tanks under, they're getting built under the roads there that are going to capture a lot of the runoff coming down the hill. I don't know, people might have noticed if you're paying attention, I know a lot of people go through that Shelburne uh, road roundabout. Oh, yeah. People may have noticed early in the construction there, it looked like they were building a swimming pool. I mean, it literally looked like they were building a swimming pool. 
it, there is like an Olympic-sized pool under the ground over there now that holds the water coming down the hill in that area of town because you know where we've had some of the worst CSOs is down in the Pine Street area. This is a big tank that now helps with that. Things I are was, getting better with everything, every new piece of public infrastructure, private development, this, prob- this problem gets better. And I think that you should talk publicly about that because I did drive through there and I was like, my God, they must be putting this massive sewer pipe or something in there because it looked like you were building a swimming pool. And I didn't know that. That See, these tanks, it, it seems so obvious now. But uh, every time you tear up the ground and uh, if you get these tanks in there to mitigate that, and in addition yeah. to what's happening on Main Street, you're going to be diverting that flow. I mean, I think we're headed, I really feel like we're headed in the right direction with that. But, you know, you get an event like just happened. We, we, are, we are headed in the right direction with that and what is happening with city infrastructure and other urban infrastructure. I don't know that that's going to be, I don't think that is going to be enough to turn around what's happening in the lake until we get oh, no. serious about the agricultural runoff. There's issue. all sorts of and different pieces there. I just don't sense that we, and I'm not an expert in this area. Probably should be careful what I say, but, but I think we're a long way from sufficiently addressing the issue there. Well, let, um, so let's talk about the, the potential, um, what's being kicked around for the potential fix for the, for the pipe that was under the Winooski. But wait, hold that thought. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Yeah, good morning. I'm calling to see if there's any problem with your uh, 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 station. I can't uh, uh, see. The to... AM signal is down right now. You can only we're, we'll have it back as soon as we can. Uh, their transmitter was blown out, and the backup transmitter was blown out. We'll have AM back as soon as we can. We're on 96.3 FM and streaming right now. And Let's uh, go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning there you drive. Go. Good redundant backup systems there for WVMT, huh? Yeah. Both struck by lightning. Oof. You're on the air. Caller? Well, I had a second call, and I know it was and, a local uh, call. It usually and, calls. So. Call back, because I can tell you that that caller is someone who has who has called about the concern about development, adding to the problem in the Yeah, so, interesting. All right, well, call back. he probably didn't hear the answer there, too. Huh? We'll, we'll have to. No, he did <laughs> So, and, and Anthony started to touch on it, but what, so in regard to the broken pipe underneath neath the Winooski River. Yeah. Um, what's, the, what's the fix going to be? Well, we may do what we did with the, so there are two places where the pipe crosses the Winooski River. This is the way the system has been built historically. If you look at it from the air, you can kind of understand why they did it that way, because the way the river bends and winds there. The... Uh, let's call it southeastern pipe broke back and I think it was 2006 and when they fixed that they did this tech thing called directional boring where essentially yeah. instead of just you know both of the pipes were just lying on the base of the riverbed that's the way it was initially built which you know you can see why that seems like that should be sufficient but we've seen now it's vulnerable that way in a couple ways uh, and so there when they built back the new one they 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 bored deep under the river um, and you know, in this kind of impressive way that you can do drilling now that where you can be on one bank and drill to the other bank with a specialized drill, we may do that again. On the other hand, you know, uh, we're looking at whether, uh, cause it's the other pipe that broke this time. So the one that is deep underground was not impacted by the storm. What we think happened and we don't know for sure yet. Cause as the last I heard, which was a couple of days ago, we hadn't been able to get divers down there yet. It, we think what probably happened, one of two things almost certainly happened, that the river flow came in there with such force with all this water flowing down there that underneath the pipe just got scoured out. So what was lying on the floor of the river suddenly was just sort of suspended there in air and just broke at a certain point. 
Um, the other possibility is something really big came down the river being pushed by all that water and hit the pipe and broke it. Um, uh, there's probably other possibilities than that, but those are the leading leading causes. Uh, so, you know, and we're not sure even if you go scout, you know, because of the way these storms are happening, happening more likely, maybe the better solution is just to keep it out of the river entirely and find some way using pumps uh, to go an overland route. And that's being considered as well. So everything's sort of on the table as we figure and, this and out. That, and that, as Chapin told us, that pipe had just been checked on back last month, right? I was encouraged. You know, I really was glad to hear that, that this is something yeah. we were inspecting and we were paying attention to, and it had been inspected and was in good shape as recently as a month ago. So it re- re- gives us real confidence that what happened here was something storm-related. It's catastrophic, yeah. Uh, well, we're running a little late, but let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on The Morning Drive. This is The Morning Drive on FM 96.3 and AM 620. News Talk, WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. We're continuing our discussion with Mayor Burlington, Moreau Weinberger. And we welcome your calls on the McKenzie Country Classic Hotline, 888-414-0303. And we'll go right to one now. Good morning. You're live on The Morning Drive. Hey, good morning, Mr. Mayor. Um... So my comment is about what you just said about the agricultural runoff. Um, I find it hard to believe that you can sit there with a straight face um, and talk about the agricultural runoff being the biggest problem with Lake Champlain when I know every single summer, at least one time during the summer, we can't swim in Lake Champlain because the wastewater treatment facility overflows in Burlington. And then... In the next segment, you'll talk about how we need more people in Burlington and in Vermont in general. You know, so and and you know, I, I feel like you're you're with the people that believe that the cows farting are part of the global warming issue. All right, Moreau, you addressed that. He, yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe the caller didn't hear the point, but um, <clears throat> yeah, obviously, I think that's a misunderstanding of the situation and. Uh, so I don't know if you want me to go to the whole no, just, give a, the just give a quick but, condensed answer to it. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is true that the beaches frequently are closed these days in Burlington. It is uh, rare that that is re- a result of sewage issues. It does happen from time to time from uh, these combined sewer overflows. That happens less and less because of the millions and millions of dollars of investment that's happening. Far more frequently, the beaches are closed because of cyanobacteria and that is being driven um, not by Burlington at this point, but by by the sources, including agriculture. And again, yeah. the housing developments, developments are not <laughs> yeah, causing and, and a problem just, or contributing. This is a really important thing in so many ways. And it's not just with respect to wastewater and stormwater. Modern building is so much better than the way we used to build things historically. That is particularly true with respect to the way stormwater is treated. And since stormwater is really the main cause of the contamination into the lake, uh, almost it, st- modern standards, particularly in Burlington, with what we make developers do in Burlington, there's a, it, it is always the case now that when something gets built, it improves on what was there before. There is less of a stormwater issue after the new development than before, even if there's a bunch more people living there. And, and Burlingtonians, point, Burlingtonians clearly care about the lake. We passed... By like a ninety percent margin, the the bond issue, which which modernized sewer yeah. facilities and helped eliminate or at least 
decrease some of these issues. It, it really is unfair to think Burlington doesn't care about this issue. I mean, it would have been a completely fair thing to say in 1952. But since then, Burlington has invested hundreds of millions of dollars in modern, state-of-the-art sewage treatment facilities that work very, very well. And in uh, since the 90s, in these modern stormwater systems, and we have led the state even before regulations required certain things to happen. Burlington was doing it. Uh, you know, and a test of that did come, like we said, a few years ago in 2018, there was, we had a bad summer with a number of CSO overflows and things get broken in 2018. And we were frustrated by that. We went to the voters. They agreed. 90% of them voted for a $30 million investment. I don't think there's many stories like that in other communities in Vermont. And by the way, these large developments, which we've seen go up, uh, building near the, uh, the bank, um, that's gone up. What is that? Eight, nine, 10 stories. The one the, by. Yeah, the the brand new the the Nest project they're calling it on uh, Bank Street and yeah. Pine Street there. Yeah, I mean that adds to the to the tax base. Oh my gosh, uh, downtown <laughs> if buildings. You're worried about taxes, you want these downtown buildings uh, are uh, that have multi story development are uh, very positive for the bottom line of the city, and um, we. Anytime we can see that kind of investment, I mean, when, when City Place gets gets built, it will be by far, and it's in the construction process of construction now. It will our, our biggest property taxpayer right now it pays about eight hundred thousand dollars a year in property taxes. That project will will pay over three million dollars. And real quick, we got a phone call coming in, but we'll get right to you. But real quick on the City Place development, um, we know it's being built. We know Dave Farrington has been on the show and talked about it. Are we still confident that is there anything that could Still put a, throw a monkey wrench into this. And, and how I mean, about let's the- talk about it candidly. I mean, what the three local partners are doing there is remarkable. Uh, they are taking enormous personal uh, risk um, uh, in getting that built, even though they've been very frank about the fact that they don't have everything completely worked out. Uh, frankly, you know, I've been in development a long time. I've never seen quite something quite like this where uh, – a major project like that is happening while significant questions are still being worked out. Exactly, the exact programming is still getting worked out. Exactly, what type of housing is getting built is still being worked out. They they don't have all the financing in place, but every day they have fifty plus people out there and they're putting tens of millions of dollars in the ground. The steel is going up right now as they're working towards finalizing those agreements. And so, I mean, I can't say here honestly that nothing unexpected could happen and there could be some additional twist and turn here. That's the nature of development. And this one, the fact they don't have everything locked in is a risk. On the other hand, you got three local accomplished, experienced guys who um, have put everything on the line, their personal reputations on the line to get this done and they're getting it done. And it is incredibly impressive and I'm very grateful to them for doing it. Yep. No, I'm with you. It's three guys, uh, three, three organizations that have risked everything to make this happen in their local folks. So. It is exciting to see the steel going up. If, you, oh, if yeah. anyone hasn't been down there now, there's a couple enormous cranes down there. They just brought a bigger one in a couple of weeks ago. No, enormous amount of equipment out there on the site every day. You know, they're up to there, starting to work on the third story now. Cool. And it's very, the, uh, and it's very gratifying after all the twists and turns that we all went through with it. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Let's grab a phone call Let's for go you. to the phones. Good yes. morning. You're live on the morning drive. Uh. Good morning, Mayor. Is the the city doing any, anything about the uh, the new invasive species, uh, pale swallowwort, that was found uh, in the city? What? Can you repeat that? I don't think everybody knew what he just said. A do you? pale swallowwort? <laughs> I, I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm I not, think I didn't hear it. Let's grab. 
No. Uh, well, triple eight four one four zero three zero three. If I pick up and uh, put you on uh, on hold, you're next in line. There's one person that keeps trying, but they hang up when I pick up on the line for them. So, hmm. um, no, I think that uh, the the best the best possible thing is when uh, local folks band together, and um, they're risking a lot right now. But I think City Place is going to succeed just based on the fact that. They're, the people that have the skin in the game are the people that are here, and uh, and they they want to make they they genuinely want to make it a better place. Let's go to the phone. <laughs> At that time, I picked right up, same person picked right up, and he was gone. Triple eight four one four oh three oh three Mackenzie Country Classic. Well, can you talk about we talk about development? We know there's a big issue coming up on the city council yes. at the city council, and that's regarding the South End development proposal. I know it made it out of committee, obviously, unanimously and on to the council. Where do we stand with that? What's it looking like? And what was the final product that came out of the committee? Out of the committee? Was it a compromise? You know, Kurt, I'm so excited about this. This you think just back a few years ago when you were on the council and we even to have a, a conversation about new housing in the South End was something that provoked an enormous amount of controversy and we really we there provoked so much controversy we kind of had to put it on the shelf and move because you know we were working on other things that were kind of higher priority it always it always seemed nuts to me kurt that we would take a huge chunk of the kind of developable part of burlington and say we're not going to allow any housing in it we're going to prohibit housing from this big section and what this what this South End Innovation District zoning does is take the central area where we've clearly had a policy failure because you're, you're, you're in the middle uh, of this incredibly vibrant neighborhood, this uh, thriving neighborhood, and you have acres and acres and acres of vacant surface parking lots. So something is wrong there. And what was wrong there is you were prohibiting just about you know what, what people need in the 21st century was being prohibited from getting built. So we have... It sure seems that we are on the cusp of overcoming that failure and putting in place zoning that will allow quite a bit of housing to be built in this. Uh, I think the I think it results in about a maybe thirty acre part of of the city. Um, it is. It did come out of the committee with a unanimous vote, and it will go to the council on Monday night. There are a number of amendments that we're going to debate and vote on that night, but. It's think, set up in a way that this sh- is in position to pass on Monday night and really change this policy and, and uh, allow those parking lots to be developed into housing. Are there any amendments that would gut <clears throat> this thing or that would uh, Nothing really would substantially it. hurt it? There, there are a couple important votes. Um, they're not fundamentally, none of them rise to the level of gutting it. One of them is a vote about whether or not we're going to allow hotels to be built in this in this district. My view is that we need more hotels so that people want to come and visit this place and we should encourage them to do so. It's great for the economy when people come here. Hotel development is great for the city bottom line. We get property taxes. We get gross receipts, rooms and meals taxes. There are modest services that the city needs to provide for hotels. We've made it illegal for a lot of property owners to put their homes up, you know, to have to serve the Airbnb kind of short term rental market. If we're going to do that, we really better make it possible to build more hotels as well. So, uh, right now, the, the, that is going to have to pass by an amendment. It came out of the committee without uh, without hotels being allowed. So that's important. Um, there's a, there's a kind of detailed debate about how we do inclusionary zoning that there's going to be a vote on as well. There's some counselors that want to kind of change the policy that we just passed just a couple of years ago with you and 
Jane Nodell leading the way, which set up a kind of thoughtful way to make sure that we have a very strong inclusionary zoning policy, but do it in a way that doesn't kill projects. People want to tinker with that again. I think that's a mistake. So I'm against that amendment. Uh, but regardless, it you, looks like this will pass and the, the overall zoning will pass and that'll be a huge so step obviously forward. Obviously, you would allow hotels in that district. Yes, I would allow hotels in that district and, um, and I would not change the inclusionary zoning policy the way some people want to. If the committee voted unanimously, though, for no hotels, is there hope that that will change at the council level Monday night? Um, my understanding is that probably a majority of the committee would have passed it with the hotels in there, but in a desire to make it a unanimous vote, they they kind of punted that issue to the okay. full council. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. I got him. Um, I've called about this uh, last winter, and I'm going to call and ask the same question again. Our, our beautiful city has just inundated and riddled with graffiti. But I'm not going to say, hey, Mayor, what are you going to do about it? Uh, I'm going to say, hey, Mayor, how can we start initiatives to do something about it and then maybe even include residents who are all, you know, looking to, to beautify the city? Are there any initiatives in place yet uh, to get rid of the graffiti that's just everywhere? Good question. That's something that we've talked about on the show. We've talked about it with the mayor. And where yeah. are we on that? So there are initiatives. We, uh, for the third year in a row, have hi- uh, hired up a, a special team to uh, try to respond to, to the initiative, to, to cover it up, to uh, address it. It is something that uh, we feel needs to be kind of a city-run function because it's as, as temp- it, there's concern about volunteer initiatives that these are dangerous chemicals involved. You are sometimes we are working on private property. Damage can be made to the buildings. People can hurt themselves. And so it's something we do as a city function. We have, again, staffed up to to do this. And, you know, things are a lot better now than they were when the caller called in in the winter. There's a huge volume of, of, of this, and it and it keeps coming back even when it's addressed. Um, there are some specific buildings that are high profile and where I think it particularly irks people. Um uh, that we have the graffiti with Memorial Auditorium. Um, uh, there's uh, some additional improvements being made that should help with that. So there's some fencing that is going to go in that's going to um, keep people away from the building while we're in a redevelopment of that property. There's also, you know, the YMCA is a private property, and it's one that's gone through a couple of hands. Uh, we've been pushing them very hard to uh, keep there from being squatting in the building and to address the graffiti it's it's still not where it needs to be and um we need to see that property the property looked like it was headed in the right direction and then and they, there's been a number of setbacks to their their development but that's really the answer there ultimately is that property needs to be redeveloped all right let's go back to the phones good morning you're live on the morning drive hey good morning gang um you know, mr mayor you're just talking about the uh, potential for redevelopment of property to to have more hotels because it generates uh, revenue tax revenue for us as well and I'm curious, um, after the reappraisal, uh, the two really large uh, hotels down on Battery, um, both saw their, their property tax um, yeah. base drop significantly. And the, the argument for that was, well, they, they don't have the revenue during COVID, so, of course, they're not worth as much. And now that we've rebounded, um, has the city assessor looked at reevaluating those properties to try and uh, correct the valuation for them and, and be able to help us with the property taxes because we all just got our property tax bills. And, you know, the increases, 
we're really kind of disappointing, I think, for most of us who are, you know, struggling to make ends meet. Um, so I'm curious as to what the uh, assessor's office is going to be doing about that. Thank you. Yeah. Really good question. Thank you for following things so closely. Not only has the assessor looked at it, we, we, we've done it. The, the, it was this sort of perverse thing that happened during the pandemic where, and it wasn't a debate and policy argument. It was law, the state law required the assessment of those properties on their valuation, their revenues at the, at the time uh, of the that assessment, which was right at the end of the, the sort of acute pandemic period, we said at the time that we would reassess that as things as soon as things return to normal. Things did return to normal quickly for the hotels, not for everything, but for the hotels. We've had record years in the years since, and there and those property the hotels were reassessed and uh, boosted back up to to where they should be. So that's been done. It's a small part of the overall tax bill. Um, you know, what I do always ask Burlington taxpayers to realize as they're looking at their tax bill and changes to it is, and there was some increase in the municipal, uh, the municipal taxes here for the median sales owner, I think it was about $13 a month more that people are paying on their, on their municipal taxes. Um, cool. the, you know, the, at this point, because of, you know, for good and bad, um, the education tax, the statewide education tax, the city collects it for the state, but it is a statewide education tax that is the major driver of property tax increases and has been for, for decades now. And um, caller's right that this is a real, this is, there's a lot, a large burden on Vermont property taxpayers around the education fund. And it is something that we, I think, are going to need to take further action on at the state level in the years ahead. How much of that, because I got my tax bill too, and he's right. Um, how much of it is the new high school? That was, um, I mean, to the credit of the school district, they worked hard to control other costs so that w- where they're, if I'm, you know, and it always shifts around as a t- little bit tough to nail down, but they are in this tax bill starting to take down the costs of debt for the new high school. And that is about half of the, of the, uh, of the increases, my, my memory. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Oh, good morning. I, I just wanted to ask the mayor if he could acknowledge the violent murder of the, uh, you know, fairly young woman, mother of three children that happened in Burlington. And I was particularly struck at the press conference that there was a mention of prostitution house somewhere in Burlington. And I would love to know, first of all, I think we should acknowledge that she died a very violent death in Burlington. And, um, and then I would like to know if you think prostitution is on the rise in Burlington. That being the death of Kelly Cousin. That's right. This is a terrible, tragic, really horrific murder that did take place um, a couple weeks ago at the beginning of July. And um, uh, first of all, my, my heart goes out to the family and all of Kelly's loved ones. Um, she clearly, you know, she was a mother. She was taken from us far too soon, uh, 30, 31. And it was just a, a terrible, terrible crime. Um, when these things are very, very rare in Burlington, and uh, when they do happen, um, it becomes the highest priority for the city, for the police department, to figure out what happened and hold <coughs> hold whoever's responsible accountable as quickly as possible. And the Burlington police, through some very good police work, have done that here. And um, 
the individual suspect is now incarcerated with the partnership of the state's attorney's office, and um, uh, I'm grateful to the police department for that effort. Can you quickly address the other thing that she mentioned, the caller mentioned, which was uh, some report some report of prostitution being on the rise in Burlington? So I'm trying to remember or think what the caller is referring to there exactly. I think there may have been a question about that and what the police, uh, the detectives at the time, is that they did not confirm um, they, they don't know what was happening exactly in this interaction yet. And they, the, char- the detective was careful not to characterize it one way or the other yet while they're still okay. seeking further information. Investigation continues. Yeah. Um, Moreau, just a few minutes left. Can you talk about homeless encampments in Burlington? We had a caller that brought this up, and I saw it myself, people pitching tents right next to the Champlain Farms on North Avenue. Yeah. Um, in the past, as you know, I've called about uh, – a few years ago, about to develop um, encampment by Letty Park, where kids are, where there's a residential neighborhood. Um, what's the policy of the city? I mean, we can't allow that to start happening in places. Like, we got rid of the one on Sears Lane because of the vast problems that it created. Um, what's the policy of the city right now in regard to yeah. almost encampments popping up here and there? So, Kurt, the policy of the city, it's, it's actually kind of a nuanced policy. The policy is different depending on... Um, where in the in the city we're talking about in parks the city has a prohibition on camping and we do our best to enforce that and enforce that quickly uh, because you're right like we uh, I, I, I think it's very important that our parks be available for what they um, were built for what they we've invested them for which is to be used for you know recreational and uh, activities um, and um, then we have a different policy for the other city-owned lands, the other public-owned lands. And this is a policy we've come to in part through lawsuit, and it's something that's required of the city after a settlement with the ACLU. There, basically, the policy is we will remove encampments if they become a public health or public safety problem. And that, you know, as you can sense, there's some subjectivity to that. And so certainly when things get to the Sears lane and that, that's, that was under that authority that I disbanded the Sears lane encampment when it was clear that that was just completely out of control. Uh, you know, before that it is a more nuanced test that we have to go through as to when we can act. And I will say, Kurt, we particularly have to bring some balance to that decision right now when we are in a terrible crisis with respect to homelessness, when there is an uh, unprecedented numbers of unsheltered individuals outside. We just sent a letter to the governor a couple of weeks ago uh, yeah, it was about two weeks ago saying where because there had been questions about whether the recent end of the motel program had increased uh, the unsheltered population in Burlington and Chittenden County. That was questioned by the administration whether that there actually had been an increase. We documented for them in this communication that the unsheltered population had gone from um, uh, about 100 earlier in the spring to about 250 now, to the best that we can tell through various outreach mechanisms. So there's been a huge increase. Homelessness, this, this, what we all, what we have to remember here, and which too often gets lost, homelessness is a housing problem. I was actually just listening to, you know, a, I, this isn't my analogy. I just heard it on a podcast I was listening to. The, it, we sometimes doubt that and we think that what's driving this is that people have drug issues or people are moving here or people are uh, having mental health issues. And all those factor into particularly the drugs and mental health figure into who gets left out in the cold, who doesn't have shelter. But um, this is there is just not enough homes right now because we have made buildings so hard in Vermont because we have not kept up 
with the demands that uh, vulnerable people are being forced literally outside. And this is a, that is what is going on here. And that, you know, we have to, that, that's what's driving the, the, the issue out there on the streets. And until we get a handle on that, we're going to be grappling with this in, 